0: It's Shake Them Ropes. My name is Chris Bruno. I am not only the founding member of the Big Guy Muscle & Fitness and what was the other thing that Jericho said? Horror club or whatever? I'm not only a president and owner of the Big Guy Muscle & Fitness and generally being awesome club. I am also a member of it. And with me as always, as a visitor today, is jeff hawkins hey jeff how are you
1: i'm a year older i had a birthday on wednesday oh yeah that's right you did that's Uh, right i sent you a card yeah um (laughs) (laughs) i said the bad gift i am i am not only (laughs) not only the president of the hair club for men i'm also a client yes 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 it's been an interesting morning for me um One of my followers works at a radio station where I grew up around. It's just one of those things where, like, I remember sending out demos to those types of stations and always wanted to be in radio. And and luckily, podcasting came along because I don't have that deep bass voice for radio. I have a sidekick voice, so I try and be a sidekick.
0: Yeah. I, I gotta tell you, the on-air, like, the one-hour, tightly-measured-by-spoonfuls format, it's a really tough format, and it's not for everybody. It's really hard to work within the margins of six minutes and 15 seconds.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I i mean, I just wanted to, to spin records. I liked music. I wanted to work at, like, a classic rock station. I could have been there forever, you know, you know. Here's fog hat with Slow Ride on WAFX 106.9 The Fox. You know, anything like that I'd be happy with. But, you know, it's it's,
0: uh... – It's crazy. I had that same dream. I'm a little younger than you, but, like, I had that same dream when I was doing, like, radio classes and such when I was younger. And I don't know why it never occurred to me when I was younger that, like, one day computers would completely make the idea of the rock radio DJ more or less obsolete. Like, radio stations, in the 90s, you know, we hear DJs on the air all the time and be like, oh, yeah, I'd like to be a DJ. That, that certainly launched a lot of people's dreams of getting on the air and, you know, announcing your favorite record or favorite band's new album or their new hit signal single and that sort of thing. But it should have been fairly obvious to us, like, around 1998, that there was going to eventually be... Heavy automation of all playlists and playlist oh, yeah. curation.
1: Well, we had we had playlists when I I worked at a commercial station in college because we had a student-run commercial station. Um, and we had you know we had playlists. You have you know you have your heavy rotation. You have your you know there's a style to putting a format together and things like that. I'm I'm just uh, it was one of those things though. I also thought when I was in my 20s that uh, radio personalities make a lot of money on the local level and that's just not true in small markets <laughs> you know that's why they they're they're out there doing you know saturday <laughs> you know you have the 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 pop-up tent with the station logo and giving out you know coupons for pizza and a pep boys or something <laughs> you know i just uh, there was a lot of glamour i thought to it and uh And it turns out not to be the case.
0: Yeah, this is the mistake that so many of us make when we're younger, where you equate, and this is a fallacy, you equate fame fame and profile with money. And they're not the same thing.
1: Yes, like it's it's odd because in L.A., I have friends who are very well-known, who in certain circles who don't make a lot of money. And then I have friends who are kind of known you know, like commercial actors, it would surprise you how much money they make per ad. And I have, I have a friend who gets, I mean, he's, he's, he's the dad on every other commercial. And you're just like, God, you're raking in money and I hate you. I wish I had your look. <laughs> uh, So money in the bank is coming up, Chris. I, I have a theory about money in the bank and, and it leads to um, our discussion of you know, Q1 and other things. I think, I think WWE has had a very slick way to save a lot of money.
0: By running this pay-per-view at Titan Towers where they already have the costs anyway, so they don't have to pay for any of the upkeep or anything, and you just tape it right there in this building that you already own that you're already having to pay to keep the lights on.
1: Hear me out. It gets even better because if you recall, one of the things they did when COVID came down is they delayed moving into their new building in, in Stanford, Connecticut.
0: Oh, right. Sure.
1: So what they've now done is they've fired a bunch of staff in that building. Now they have all that equipment and stuff that they don't want to store and they don't necessarily want to bring over to the new building. You have a new nice office space and you don't, and you know, when you do these types of things and you're a big company like that, you, you always, you know, get equipment to fit inside there as opposed to, bringing a lot of, you know, your old cubicles and stuff like that. So they could just destroy everything in the building as opposed to paying somebody to take it down or put it in storage and write it off as a business expense and then just sublet the building after they've cleaned it all out. It yeah. Is, it's that's yeah. Genius.
0: You could write off all the damages as a business expense or yeah, props yeah. put on the show. No, I mean, Look, uh, it is kind of genius. You cannot like the way that Vince has been running the company and not approve of any of the moves that he's made over the last quarter, but still also recognize that the guy has, you know, a a nest to protect and put yourself in the shoes of somebody you actually like. This would be a very cagey move if if this is somebody you actually liked and you'd be applauding it. So, yeah, good on Vince. Uh, This is not necessarily going to be a visually great show, I don't anticipate. But I will give him creativity points on the business side.
1: Some interesting twist to this Money in the Bank pay per view. Um, <laughs> we're filling out the 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 uh, the rosters for both matches. Uh, Carmella being added to the women's side after beating Mandy Rose. Otis being added to the men's side, and also taken out of the match. Apollo Cruz. Raw had a story of him you know being you know this being a big opportunity and then him having a great match you know with Andrade and then hurting his knee and then now him being devastated and now we have to have a new replacement and oh it just so happens on Monday we had the return of Jinder Mahal So, I I fully expect Jinder Mahal to get that six spot.
0: Now, do you think that they got Jinder Mahal back and they were just like, this guy has been sitting on the shelf for far too long. This is money that has just been sitting there, not being made. Let's get Jinder out there. They've been hindering him for too long. Don't hinder the Jinder.
1: My first thought was, are they planning to run a show in India? And I, I know that's cynical as hell, but I was wondering what India's social distancing policies are right now. I mean,
0: it's okay. I get that it's cynical, or I definitely understand how someone could hear that at first blush and remember that, or think that that's cynicism. But do recall that the entire Mahal push, what was it, in 2017 or 2016, was really premised and predicated by the fact that WWE at the time was expanding into India And they believed, however errantly, that Jinder Mahal would help them improve their standing in India.
1: Yeah, there's two divergent things. I'll get to the gender point in a second. But it leads to, there are stories on all these shows. You have Apollo Crews here. You kind of have Drake Maverick on NXT. And you have Otis on SmackDown. They're telling the perpetual underdog stories, and and God God love them. They've made Otis into an even bigger oaf than he is, because now all he does is, oh, yeah, all the time. He's the Kool-Aid man now. He is now the wrestling Kool-Aid man. Um, We were worried about this. We were worried
0: that they were never actually going to think too hard about what an Otis match is supposed to look like and what emotive sort of notes an Otis match should hit, which is like one – one part comedy, but another part ooh and ah! Wow, he's impressive and strong. We've just completely eschewed the impressive and strong part of Otis's gimmick to just look at him. He's kind of fat, <laughs> fatty, fat, fat.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm a little more worried about just the and and we talk about this a lot. The prism through which the guy on top looks at underdog stories, because this Drake Maverick story is working. I hate to tell people this, but it's working. You see it in 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 the reactions to the shows. You kind of hear it you know and, and just talk in in just talking in in the general chatter. You had the Apollo crew story they're writing these underdog stories for underdogs to get crushed in the end, and they they've been doing this for a long time. They've kind of done it with Gargano. they kind of did it with Daniel Bryan quite a bit it's like if you're good and you have a dream and you work hard and you overcome the odds look you're not supposed to win (laughs) it's one of those things where i don't need rudy all the time don't get me wrong i don't need the sappy you know some five foot eight kid makes the notre dame football team and gets a tackle on a play because yeah that's somewhat unrealistic but we also have noted that if, if if vince were booking david versus goliath He'd want Goliath to win. He'd be impressed
0: by Goliath. He'd yeah. be like, Goliath has incredible size. I Look wonder. At the if- charisma.
1: I mean, he's out there <laughs> you know, talking. A little golfers. bit of college football, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever play college football? Yes, Philistine University. I was a linebacker there. Does it my size, sir? I. <laughs> I was the
0: center on the basketball team prior to that.
1: Yeah, I. <laughs> I. <laughs> No, as was a point guard. I'm actually small for my size, to be honest with you. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those weird things where it's like they spent three weeks building up Apollo Crews, and you think there's going to be something there, and there might still be. But you also hold out the the possibility that Jinder was ready to come back, and Vince just decided, well, you know what? Scrap that. I'm going to – him. Although Jinder's not officially yet in the match, so I'm putting the cart before the horse a little bit. There will be a gauntlet match of sorts to see who will be the third Raw representative in Money in the Bank, but I fully expect it to be Jinder Mahal, who also, in his debut, crushed Akira Tozawa who is in your cruiserweight tournament, which is supposed to be your draw for Wednesday nights. And then on Wednesday night, they beat Shane Thorne versus Dexter Loomis, who is supposed to be a draw for your tag team that MVP is going to be managing on Raw. And I'm just like, are there only 12 guys and they're doing round robin and they're just deciding we need to beat people tonight? Or are they actually putting thought into this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the real problem is that they just have a group of people informally bunched as the enhancement talent right now, and they're just doing matches to do matches for the sake of doing matches. Um, It was a danger that we were talking about a couple of months ago when this all began, which is it's, it's fine to keep taping television, but make sure that when you're taping matches and booking matches that they are purposeful and that the wins and losses are purpose-driven and have a grander meaning in the narrative storyline. Otherwise, you get to a point two months down the road where Tony Nese coming through the curtain doesn't mean anything at all. Uh, to stay a little bit on the underdog booking in the underdog story in WWE, I, I think part of the organization's lack of discipline, and I do think that it comes from the top, comes from McMahon for all of those years in The Rock storylines and Stone Cold Steve Austin storylines, having to be the guy who got the comeuppance at the end. And I think part of it is that in real life, Vince likes to stick his thumb in the eye of the underdog. And so there's always been a little bit of sailing against the wind that has been done by the organization when telling these underdog stories because normally the underdog's on the other side of the table from Vince McMahon.
1: Yeah, he's, he's the lone wolf who did it all on his own and had no help. And, and
0: he hates that. I yeah. mean, you go, go to that uh, promo. What did I text you about? Was It, uh, it was the Johnny Gargano promo. Who, who was doing it on the other side? Dijakovic. Yeah. It's Dijakovich saying, oh, you should be so grateful to the organization.
1: yeah they're giving you the opportunity to grab the brass ring blah 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 blah. you know you can you can see the. he's
0: saying that without irony as a baby face yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) it's just it's weird but again who are your straight ahead baby faces right now and they're few and far between The, the you know the white meat like we say white meat like derisively but Dude, you I mean like I, You
0: actually need someone who is flavorless. Um and, and every recipe, like it, it you know, the reason they use kind of white meat is it's about a flavor. Recipes need a thing that can absorb the flavor. You can't just have all spices, otherwise you have an inedible dish.
1: Yeah, I, I was I watched two old wrestling shows last night. I watched an episode of UWF with uh, the Fantastics and Terry Taylor versus the Bushwhackers and Jack Victory in a barbed wire cage match. And every time any of the baby faces had, had their heads put near that barbed wire, the women start screaming, no don't cut up their pretty face. It's a trope that works. And then I ended up watching an old 93 ECW show where it's like public enemy versus bad company. And it's just a bunch of, Philadelphia fans who hate everybody. (laughs) It was just night and day, and you're just watching that going, yeah, people need somebody to cheer for occasionally. Yeah, Um, I think
0: it's good for an organization to have these quote-unquote white-meat-babyface guys who you can send out to the fans not have to worry about breaking their character because their character is literally just – People like me. <laughs> and, and you can have them go out and represent working for WCW, UWF, WWF, WWE, whoever. And you don't have to worry about, quote-unquote, exposing the business. Not like we are worried about that in 2020 like we would have been in 1980. But you know what I mean. You don't want to break people's characters.
1: Well, no, but there's, there's a point you made in there that I really like because it's something that happened in, I would say, pre-'98 promos a lot. You could put over the company while doing it through the, through the lens of putting yourself over. Like I, I, I'm, so, I'm so proud to represent
0: you. Like well, if, if you remember Hacksaw when he was in WCW, he used to be awesome at this, all the way down to coming down to the ring with the WCW flag.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, even the heels would do it in Jim Crockett. It's like, I'm very honored to be working here for Jim Crockett promotions where the finest wrestlers come in. You have your Arn Anderson's and Tully Blanchard's and even you, Dusty Rhodes. I don't like you, but you're a hell of a man. And, you know, that kind of thing. And then the white, would go, you know, I'm just so thankful to have this opportunity to represent the NWA, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just going to do my best for these fans here. And I'm going to make them proud. You know, it, it's not, it ain't rocket science, as they say.
0: I think part of it, too, is uh, in the giving gravitas the organization, it's really helpful to have a name that sounds prestigious when you say it out entirely. So the National Wrestling Alliance, World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, And yeah. I, I always felt like TNA never had that ability. <laughs> and to a, to a certain extent, neither does World Wrestling Entertainment. You can't say it and have a gravitas, a heft to it. Once you get to that E, it feels weird.
1: Yeah, it, it, it certainly does. Uh, speaking of weird, Chris, a, a twist in this year's Money in the Bank matches. I don't know if you have heard this or not, so I may just be getting a hot take here, which is always awesome. Um, both Money in the Bank matches, the men's and the women's, will be happening simultaneously. What? <laughs> All right. What yeah. kind
0: of, what kind of uh, let me say it, touch my language. Uh, what kind of clustery quandary are they planning on shooting and airing on live television? Because they want to run this show live, right?
1: Um, I think the end is going to be live. I think the rest is going to be... You have, have, have to have
0: right yeah, yeah. yeah you have to because I mean the amount of crews that you would need to be running live and the amount of coordination you'd need to be doing in a truck live it's it's bedlam, and what is the narrative point of this that There has been nothing to merit this stipulation of the men and the women both going at the same time, other than the subtext that all of them ultimately work at the pleasure of Vince McMahon and World Wrestling Entertainment. And so, like, what this whole fight through Titan Towers thing's really about is a metaphor for fighting and clawing and scratching your way to the top of the company.
1: Well, Chris, it's it's both men and women equally climbing the corporate ladder at the same time. Is- I, I can't. I can't. I'm gonna lose it if I if I try and make that a serious point. I'm sorry. I tried, Chris. I wanted to really, you know, bring that underlying message in there. That look, they're you all can't have gender
0: equality if you're treating all of the workers like shit. Uh,
1: uh, <laughs> um, no, but there will be two briefcases hanging, one for men, one for women, and I believe everybody just starts at the same time and it goes wherever it goes. Like I said a few weeks ago. You're going to have two people busting into Vince McMahon's office while he's working just for that comedy spot. Otis and Mandy. Well, Mandy's not in it.
0: Oh, she's not. Oh, that's right. She's not in it. She oh. lost in it. But but then maybe Mandy's helping Otis and maybe, yeah, but I, I think that there's obviously going to be an Otis and Mandy spot in here.
1: Yeah, there's going to be that. I think one of the heel women is going to do something to one of the baby faced men. Now that Apollo cruises out, it's probably going to be either Nia Jax or Shayna Baszler, like, killing Daniel Bryan or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, you know, they could do something crazy. Like Nia Jax wins the men's briefcase and keeps it, you know, just to, just to get talking points out there. I wouldn't put it past them. I don't think they will, but I wouldn't, you know, my thought, my thought was going to be that Sasha Banks was going to be in this match and eventually cash it on Bailey. So that's not happening either, but, uh, Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a mess. It's going to take a long time because you have two matches going on at the same time, and their focuses are going to be all over the place.
0: Yeah, this is going to be at least an hour of the show, right? You're not
1: going to have a great narrative through line if you're cutting in in between men's and women's storylines. I think. Well, and you have to
0: focus on six different characters in each part of the plot. Yes, I I mean, if you're thinking about this as an hour-long television show, where now you have 12 characters, two main characters that you have to tell consistent through lines through, and then supporting cast, not all of which, there's six on each side, but the supporting cast, at least two or three in each match, needs to be serviced uh, in some way by the narrative storytelling, just divvied up evenly. That is no more than 10 minutes per person if you have six people, but you're gonna have two people prioritize, so like I mean, like the pie gets really, really small, and it just it seems like for the people involved in this match, if you're not winning the briefcase, you're probably not going to get much of a rub out of this.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I don't know yet. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on a lot of this until after it happens naturally, but uh we'll give our picks next week when we know everything that's going on. The other thing have,
0: is you're gonna have to figure out how to draw eyeballs to watch this spectacle. Well um, yeah. speaking
1: of eyeballs, both shows are under two million viewers. Um, I believe. I believe Raw's under two million. I know SmackDown last night was one point eight, I wanna say. Um, people just aren't watching wrestling, and I don't think it has anything to do with crowds. I gotta be honest with you, I think that's a part of it. But I think it's just with families being quarantined together. These days, wrestling is not, it's not the sit down as a family and watch kind of show that you think it is. Our relationship with TV
0: is totally different than it was 30 years ago.
1: I mean, you you have all these streaming services. I get that. But if you have like one TV and you all just kind of want to hang out together and watch something usually live sports would be a good one that everybody could agree on, but nobody except maybe I mean, if you're over the age of eight and a male, it's hard to talk anybody else in your house into watching the WWE. <laughs> it
0: just is. Uh, especially WWE. Yes. Yeah. 2020, even 2010 to 2020 WWE. Yeah, uh, It is a really, really hard sell
1: right now. Um, You know, most people sit down and watch a Disney movie or a Netflix movie or things like that. But yeah, our relationship with television has changed. And our relationship with the people that were, you know, that were quarantined with, if you are quarantined with people, you have to take into account their tastes, and maybe they don't want to watch it. So... That's what I'm looking at. But
0: I, but I do I think... think- more screens. To your point now, I mean, just the cost of a television, uh, which I'm aware that Timothy Thatcher is still working on. He's hoping to get a really good deal on a TV. The good news for Timmy <laughs> is that there are good deals to be had on televisions all over the place now. But, I mean, if you remember back when... Like, I remember in the 90s uh, being in my parents' house, they you know, had... The nice new hardwood floors installed and my dad got a big screen television through his job. He got like a really good discount on it. It was still, this is in the 90s. I still remember that was well over a $1,000 in like the 1990s money. That was the big screen in the living room and we had a junky 1980s TV downstairs that had like little push buttons to actually trigger the different channels. It only went up to 15. Uh, You could connect the cable to the back. But like TVs were heavy, cumbersome, cost more money even for the cheap ones. Um, Whereas now you can get a good TV for 200 bucks. I mean, you could get a bad TV for under 100 if you go to the right places. And if you're thinking about doing it on use, you can get it. You can get a decent TV for well under 100 bucks. Like they're just far more ubiquitous And the reason i bring that up is that means that the average house has more tvs too so screen wars is less of a thing too now so the hope that you would maybe get lapsed bands um the the you have the kid who's eight years old who's still watching wwe for john cena or whatever you want your narrative to be right the hope is that you're going to get that 35 to 50 year old who remembers wrestling and watched when Stone Cold and rock were doing their thing in Goldberg. Maybe they'll check back in to check out and see what Gronkowski and Goldberg and some of these uh, quote unquote legends are doing during WrestleMania that didn't happen. Um, And and it's not going to happen. Um, and, And I don't think getting back out into the fans, getting back into the crowds is going to change the downward trajectory. I think, that COVID-19 and the pandemic has exacerbated that downward trajectory. But this is a trajectory that wrestling was on well before COVID-19, mm-hmm. well before 2020. Um, it's something that Jeff and I have been talking about on this show for years. The ratings keep going lower, and every year it seems like we're confronted with the headline of new record low for Raw. I, I, how many times have we ran that headline on this show? They've all been true. It's not like we're making them up. But – What's been happening is that Raw continues to arc further and further downward. Um, I, I mean, it's a big problem for this company because I think America's relationship with the product that we have known as professional wrestling has fundamentally changed. And the products that are currently producing professional wrestling have not fully adapted to reflect that reality.
1: Yeah, I'm... I'm- How's that for a hot take? That well that was a, <laughs> I'm trying to remember it all. Um <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 just I, I just think we're in a downward part of the cycle, even though it's so weird because we had bidding wars over this product because of the thought that it could change and adapt with the times and they're just not doing that. So I, I'm It is so crazy
0: that investors went like
1: ham ham
0: on WWE when America's relationship with wrestling and with just heat for wrestling is way dead. I I, I love the Vice series. The Vice series has been very much scratching an itch of mine for wrestling, but going back and like watching this week, John Stossel and, and, and him talking about the 80s relationship with Dr. D. Um... It took me back a little bit to when I was a kid. Even in the '90s, when the business is being discussed, you have steroids, the death of Owen Hart, Vince McMahon is talking about the Montreal screw job on TV. We just had a very different relationship with this product. It was much more. It was much more part of our life and our national, like, and around the margins of society and culture at all times than it is right now.
1: Chris Novembrino says, bring cocaine back into wrestling. Okay, gotcha. Um, <laughs> uh,
0: certainly, it would make the promos more entertaining, Jeff. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, there were a lot of promos that were done uh, on, uh, on illegal substances, as, as they say.
0: Yeah, it's uh, like the entirety of the Ultimate Warrior's career.
1: <laughs> uh, one piece of news that dropped. We did have another release in the WWE. Curtis Axel uh, one Joseph Curtis Hennig son of Mr. Perfect, uh, former Intercontinental Champion, uh, Curtis Actual.
0: Triple H, thank you very much.
1: Yes, the, the DQ or count out win that really elevated his career. Uh, he's 40. I have doubts he's going to get another wrestling job. I, I do. I think I – I don't know how much he's
0: ever loved the business. I oh. think that this is – it's in his family. Uh, it's it's in his blood, but I think some people, some people are just gravitated towards wrestling and worth their whole life and rush to get into wrestling. Whereas I think Joe was born into wrestling. His grandpa was a wrestler. His dad was a wrestler. It's in his family. And oh, his
1: brothers I, were wrestlers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, I mean, I I think, and, and in families like that, it's not that like like the hearts. It's not like they don't all love wrestling, but. Some people love wrestling more than others. And, and I, my suspicion is that Joe is probably the member of the family who loves wrestling a little bit less, but loves his family and loves the family business and respects it very, very much.
1: I won't go that far. I think he loves wrestling. I just think he has, he has the unfortunate specter of being the son of a wrestler who died young. And he has a famous name, and he has expectations, I think he loves wrestling. I mean, just listening to interviews he's done. I I do think he loved it. He had a job for a long time in the WWE. He was with Florida championship wrestling back in the day. He's also to me, very, very underappreciated. And I'll tell you why he is the guy that whenever an old guy had to get back in ring shape, they'd send Axel to work with him, And, Ah, okay, all right. You know, he helped The Rock get back in shape. He helped, I believe, he helped Goldberg get back in ring shape at one time too. He was that guy. And
0: so let me modify this. Maybe he doesn't love being a performer. Maybe what he loves about the business
1: Chris is a chance, though.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that that's true too. But I also like. I think some people like the bright lights and like really working in a character. More than others. And, you know, Perfect was a great character. Mr. Perfect was really awesome at working in a character. The Curtis Axel character has always been a little bit for want of. And and maybe what Joe sinks his teeth into is what you're describing, which is the working out, staying fit. You get to work and wrestle and train up these people who you like and respect. And, like, he loves that culture, loves that part of the business. And then there's the other part where you have to come through the curtain, and he does that, too, because that's part of the job.
1: Well, there's a few hiccups in here, I'm thinking. Number one, there's not a lot of – unless you have other skills when you're 40. See, I I look at him as possibly making a small business of some kind for his own. Um, In another day and time, the fortunate son's gimmick from SCW, which was him and his brother and – I think it was both his brothers and another legacy type of guy. That's the kind of crap that gets over in old-timey territory wrestling. It it just it's just Vince really has no interest in legacy type people. Even oh no,
0: Vince putting over a business or I'm um, sorry, a a a family as a brand because it's essentially putting over in a way another except for business. Charlotte
1: Flair, except for yeah, Charlotte
0: Flair. for sure, except for Charlotte Flair. Um, but like it, because you're putting over a brand, I, I think you know the Charlotte thing to that point is he's not worried about Rick strolling off anywhere at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but if he was, he wouldn't be putting over Charlotte Flair, I don't think, too. I mean, if he thought that there's a real risk that Rick would defect to AEW and really help, you know, then I think that might change the dynamic of how much we're talking about Charlotte. But, uh, yeah, I just don't think – and also, I guess, Randy Orton. But, but kind of a same sort of relationship. He's not worried about Bob Orton or Randy Orton kind of running off and doing something with it. But, you know, he doesn't want to put over the roads. Um, he doesn't really – even Legacy – legacy was never going to be top of the card. It was always going to be upper mid card kind of territory and, and never be on top for any length of time. Cause Vince doesn't like that idea.
1: I erred a bit. It's not, it wasn't Hennig and his brothers. I don't think it was, it was Hennig along with a couple of the DiBiase brothers. I know some people were probably yelling, Jeff's a moron right now, but and that's very true sometimes, but uh, yeah, there was some weird combination of, of him and, one, two, or three of the DiBiase brothers that uh, formed the fortunate sons gimmick. Um,
0: Jeff, don't beat yourself up. I, I have heard from people that you can be <laughs> incorrect but still right. Well,
1: thanks. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm interested to see what he does. I, I think he'd be a good trainer somewhere if he wanted to do that. But uh, overall, I could see him as the kind of guy who goes, "Look, I've made a lot of money in this business. I wasn't a star, but I've made a lot of money because just by his tenure, he probably got escalated." In terms, even if he wasn't on TV, probably got. And, it and
0: if he was like Bobby Eaton, smart, you know, like Bobby, the the stories were always that he was really good about saving his money. He always had like a kit and, and made sure that he was never just buying stuff recklessly on the road or whatever. If he was smart and squirreling away his money, he's probably fine.
1: Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm just interested to see what happens to a guy that age making a big career change, at that time. So, um, the only other thing in terms of in ring. I mean, both, both shows, I, th- I think all these shows are having good wrestling. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're having interesting choices like Liv Morgan beating Ruby Riot again because it looks like they, they see something in Liv finally. Um, but I'm fascinated by the Sheamus build because Sheamus is a known quantity. We know what Sheamus is and what he's been about, and he's been around for, what, 13 years? Maybe more. I, my my timeline's off. But they're giving him the squash match treatment. And and I know a lot of people are saying now, you know, Jeff, you like squash matches. I do. I think there should be nothing but squash matches until pay-per-views, to be honest with you. Maybe a TV main event here and there. But WWE – No, but like a lot diff-
0: shows should be done through promos so on the week yes. to week. Yeah.
1: Yes, but WWE plays by a different set of rules, and they like having, you know – guy versus guy matches, even though they don't have, you know, and then they view those as enhancement, but these are real enhancement matches. And those are usually saved for new monsters that Vince sees something in that he wants to build up. I get that they're kind of rebranding Seamus as angry, intimidating, badass, but we know what Seamus is already. It's also, it's in a
0: rebrand. This is really similar to a character. He's been working in various variations for the last two and a half, three years.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah, it's just one of the scenes I'm watching this. I'm going, you know what? You could have brought in a Dan math for, for, for example. Um, or what is it, Dorian Matha or is it, whatever it was Dorian
0: David. Mac uh, yeah Dan Matha yeah, yeah. Dan Mac.
1: and and this would work for him it would work for you know if you want to bring in Baba Tunde all of a sudden on the main roster and do that I just I, uh, it works for the two big uh,
0: Indian guys that they're pushing on NXT right now too yeah uh,
1: I, I, I'm but, wondering but I think what,
0: what's going on with Sheamus to kind of answer your questions I think that some of the writers maybe even Vince himself have been watching the other channel a little bit on Wednesday nights and have seen the Lance Archer build and really like the Lance Archer build, like like the package with Jake, um, like all of these squash matchy sorts of things that are going on with Lance Archer, and go, well, we can do that with Sheamus. He's kind of a similar casting fit for this kind of character, let's just do it with Sheamus, without any real consideration of why it works when you do it with lance archer
1: yeah i'm uh <laughs> it's weird cuz i i just think they're just building him up to beat daniel bryan again <laughs> i got to be honest with you that's what i see it's like every time they build up a guy like this it's it's to feed it's to feed daniel bryan to him pretty much and make him a contender i that That's the other kind of interesting note for me from the two main shows. Not a whole lot going on in there other than, you know, the story of Apollo Cruz on Raw. But uh, uh, Daniel Bryan is currently in his, oh, you guys think this guy sucks? I'm going to get a three-and-a-half-star TV match out of him. And he had a pretty good, fun, entertaining match with one Baron Corbin. And I'm not a Baron Corbin detractor in terms of wrestling. I'm a detractor in terms of the character, I find, a little bit. Grading,
0: yeah. Um, in terms of wrestling, he is a light version of the Big Boss Man. He even does some of the yes, same. That's spots. a good
1: one. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll take that.
0: No, no, the slide under the ropes and come back into the ring spot like that is straight Boss Man. Um, mm-hmm. and he does the the sidewalk style slam. Um, which he calls a deep six. Like, there's a lot of very Big Boss man-y type mannerisms to Baron Corbin. Um, but he's not nearly as intimidating as Bossman, and I don't think he's as talented. But he's still not – he's not unskilled, um, and to be called a big man in the vein of Big Bossman is a good thing.
1: Agreed. Um, Yeah, so I I really had not a lot on the main roster. Uh, I don't believe Asuka was on this week, so uh, (laughs) – Aunt Pam and her friend have made up which I like only they'll probably end up miscommunicating in this tag match. They're having a, they're having a tag match with Bailey and Sasha versus uh, Lacey Evans and Tamina next week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Tamina
0: but, noted babyface.
1: noted babyface. to me. Although her social media attempts at baby facing, I gotta say she's top notch. She has a sly sense of humor and I, I, I like her. I like. I've always liked her personally because she she always has, <laughs> she always has reactions that make me laugh. Like there was a time in Team Bad when it was her Naomi and Sasha coming out, and and uh, was when Sasha was doing imitations of her opponents at all times, and she was facing Nikki Bella in a match, and she comes out and and she does the Nikki Bella twirl type thing. And Tamina just points and looks and goes, can you believe this crap? <laughs> just I howled at that. But she's, she's trying on social media. You should take a look at her account. It, okay,
0: it's, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's that, quite that entertaining.
1: Be. Uh, as for the two Wednesday shows, I think, once again, it was a winning week for the most part for promos. I'm liking that they finally have gotten to – we're just going to talk to the camera, although there are some, like the Jai Jakovic promo. Uh, it was a good promo but i would have rather he talk to the camera versus i'm just on a stroll with a cameraman right now yeah no of thing. He,
0: did, he did a nice job with the content he had to deliver but yes. I, I i do think that the content itself had problems which i was referencing earlier in the show
1: i think it's helping damien priest quite a bit in these types of things
0: absolutely no and i, I think priest is totally the type of guy who should be his characterization should be done through promos like this, right?
1: I think both Darby Allen and Cody had great promos at the beginning of AEW. I love that. It really hyped me for the fight.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I loved the promos from both Cody and Darby Allen, but we'll talk about the Rhodes Brothers matches when we get to those
1: oh okay we're gonna go over matches now uh yeah
0: if you want to go over matches do you well, have, let's do we get have to well then let's up? get
1: AEW out of the way and then we'll do NXT because uh we are kind of treading on toes but uh we go where we go so the heck with it
0: we go where we go and we step on your toe <laughs> put that on a t-shirt put it on a bumper sticker
1: our boy Mookie got a little bit more TV time uh noted heel Chris Harrington
0: <laughs> there. Oh, saying that for years it's just great to finally see that oh, recognized yeah, you know, on a national really, level
1: i mean there's a rumor he once kicked a baby i'm just saying yeah, I, no, I don't have any no, i've been here a lot of
0: people have been saying it it's out there <laughs> it's in the discourse so what uh, stood maybe. out
1: from you from aew uh
0: so i liked the work in the Darby Allen-Cody Rhodes match. Mm -hmm. However, I thought the move to turn Darby into an opportunist was too cute by half. First, if he's going to go opportunist, he needs to just go straight heel. Um, I I think that that's important. And then for him to change tactics and still lose and lose in the way in which he did – I think did Darby Allen's character a serious disservice. The the promos were great. Uh, Darby talking about the reason why he felt his previous losses to Cody Rhodes were not justifiably clean losses um, in a slightly heelish manner. Set the table perfectly for when Cody injures his knee and Darby – you see the gears uh, start turning in his head and the light bulb switches from a bright light to a little bit darker of a light and he tackles that knee. But then, I mean, that should have, it should have opened him up to, to a new palette of moves, a new style of wrestling that takes Cody Rhodes off of his balance. And then Rhodes loses the match because he's been legitimately surprised by a new side of Darby Allen. Darby Allen goes to embrace that. Instead, Allen comes off of the top, does the coffin drop, and Cody doesn't even really reverse it, per se. Like, he doesn't counter it with, like, a devastating knee to the back or a knee to the back of Darby Allen's head, which would be the, the obvious way of countering the coffin drop, right? Um, he just rolls him over into a backslide, and then Allen loses in a Wrigley three-count. Um, I I hated that because if you're going to turn over a new leaf, we we need to see some sort of reward for it. Otherwise, what's the point? And why would he stick with it?
1: I think they're very nervous about turning Darby Allen heel. I got to be honest with you. I think they thought about it. Then don't try to butter your bread on both sides. They are. And that's what they're doing is because I think the crowd loves Darby Allen. And I think they're playing this obsessive gimmick hard – because they want to make him a heel, but I don't think the crowd's going to go along with it. I, I, think, I think this crowd, the AEW crowd.
0: He's going to be Sting. What, what, what's going to happen is if he goes into heel mode, he's going to come out through the crowd. He's going to appear out of nowhere. He's going to hit somebody with a skateboard or a baseball bat, and the crowd's going to lose their mind every time. Oh, I completely agree with you. Turning the guy a heel seems like a fundamental mistake, but if you're going to do it, you've got to friggin' do it. So, um, so you, yeah. you're,
1: you're thinking he's going to be like dark anti-hero. Yeah, I, I
0: think so. Okay. I, 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 I think that you're right that they're trying to butter their bread on both sides on this. I think it's just – it's a mistake. If he's going to be a babyface, make him a babyface. Um, if he's going to be the underdog, make him the underdog. Uh, but if he's going to be a heel and he's going to really embrace the dark side of his nature, then he needs to really do that. Because uh, we've seen what happens when you try to play it in the middle with Finn Balor.
1: Yeah, no that that's that's a good that's a good comp- comparison right there. Um, thought the Bubbly Bunch video was better this week. It's obvious some wrestling pundits had not seen the stuntman video that this was based on. Um, I did like Lou Ferrigno with a taser. That-
0: <laughs> yeah, Jack Victory creeped in there too. I appreciated that. Who? Uh, Jack Victory.
1: Oh, that, was that Jack Victory?
0: Yeah, there, there's I'm pretty sure Jack Victory's in there.
1: I don't think that's Jack Victory. I think it might be like Duff McKagan or something.
0: <laughs> is, is it okay? I, I I wasn't
1: sure, but like yeah, say they got Jack Victory. I, I know they had Ted Irvine in there. They had, yeah, uh, no, they had. Oh, that's some... who it, Oh, that's who you're thinking it was. The guy in the hockey jersey. Yes. No, that's Chris. That's Chris. Uh, that's Chris Jericho's dad. Oh, that's his dad. Okay, that's no, Ted I, Irvine. the uh, okay. Noted hockey enforcer. Yeah. Okay. No. I, oh. Oh man. Okay, no, that makes sense now. He
0: looks like old Jack Victory, am I right? A little, a little, a little. Yeah. Um,
1: Older Jack Victory.
0: (laughs) Right, no, like if Jack, no, because I haven't seen Jack Victory in 20 years. I don't know what Jack Victory's up to. Jack Victory and I don't hang out. Jack Victory and I are not boys. Um, I didn't Google Jack victory. We should I don't, be. We I don't should all
1: pay... be boys with Jack victory. I don't pay just... my
0: internet bills on time. It doesn't matter. It I can, this is America.
1: If someone knows Jack victory and someone knows John Tatum and we can get them both on here to talk about <laughs> their matches.
0: Give us a little bit of John Tatum, dude, an hour. John, oh, man, please, please come on people. Let, let shake them roast people. This is me reaching out to you through your headphones. Touch me feel me i'm like dusty Rhodes coming through your headphones get us hollywood john tatum bring him on to this show
1: <laughs> srs is now uh, is asking who do you want me to see a video interview this time i'm gonna put john tatum and jack victory just to, just to troll him. <laughs> 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 yeah um the brook uh not <laughs> the brooklyn brawler <laughs> i was uh, not the brooklyn brawler the brit baker i was gonna say brooke baldwin uh, <laughs> from cnn the brooke baldwin <laughs> heel experiment and she is a heel no um she <laughs> the, <laughs> the brit baker experiment is working
0: for me oh yeah no i, I i'm calling a uh, rebel reba yes. love, it, love it like like having everyone around Britt baker hate her and think that she's an inseparable piece of crap but still have to kind of like Kiss her ass a little bit, and and Baker doing this self-absorbed "I'm a role model" stuff. Man, no, this is great. You you said before. I I'm stealing your thunder here. This is w- what the Bailey "I'm a role model" character should be should have been templated off of, or in the vein of. And Britt Baker has really out role modeled Bailey.
1: Now, now here's here's the thing. I I see a lot of people giving Kenny Omega credit because it was his idea to turn her heel i'm not gonna go that far just yet because she was supposed to be basically the baby face face of this division after after kylie ray left and they just did a terrible job with it
0: so yeah if you're gonna give credit for this Iteration, you have to give recognition. Yes. For the redirection, which is a concession that at best, like this is a redo on the homework assignment to get fifty percent credit. Like if you remember back in school, that old gimmick. Um, like he gets points for how Britt Baker is going, and if Britt Baker was the original homework, he would have gotten an A on the assignment. But in this case, because it's the second attempt on the assignment, you only get like at best a C. And I think he's probably right up on that, but they they mishandled Britt Baker. And I, and I also think that they're crutching a little too much on Tony Schiavone and goodwill towards Tony Schiavone to get Baker over um, and, and over-relying on it. Uh, it's not that it doesn't work, but I mean, we spent a long time on Tony's appearance this time.
1: Yeah, I'm here here's 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 the thing i i you it's one of those things where you have to criticize but you also have to give credit at the same time because aew more than any other company right now when something's not working they just drop it and they go another direction the nightmare collective with brandy and uh and uh kia uh awesome kong
0: yeah, yeah, the Dark Order. That was the dog's balls. And we were all talking about yeah. it like it was the dog's balls. And the next week, not only did they drop it, they took that opportunity to like work it and leave it into storyline by saying, hey, you know, there was that one guy. His heart wasn't really in it. He wasn't even connecting with his punches, which I thought whoever came up with that, give that person a $500 weekly bonus. Mm-hmm. That, that was a genius line. Um, no, they've been very good at recognizing when something's not working and abandoning it and being dynamic. And you've got to give them credit for that.
1: And then, uh, Dustin Rhodes and the murder hawk monster. I just like the murder hawk. I, I the you know, come on. Murder hawk is awesome. Uh, straight eighties movie trope right there. I mean, it was a little bloodier than I thought it was going to be. And you know, I, I have yeah, a
0: very weird in this particular moment yeah. that we're in, right?
1: I have a logic question because it used to be taking off the turnbuckle pad and putting a guy into it was a disqualification. But, you know, having Archer standing over his his victim taunting taunting the man who will who will fight for his brother's honor. I mean, that's straight eighties cheese right there, and I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, so I liked a lot of beats of this. I thought the match is a little bit longer than it needed to be in this part of the Archer build. I think that Archer should have had a obviously a more competitive match than he's had with like the the no-name people he has been in the ring with. But I think he really should have and, and I largely he he really overwhelmed Dustin Rhodes. So my issue is not even with the the way the match was booked. I thought the the ratio was right. It was just a little long. I think he should have cut through Rhodes a little bit faster. Rhodes should have been crawling for his brother. I, I love the I love the people. Uh, the the wrestlers yelling, the heels all yelling, give up, give up, give up, and really needling Dustin Rhodes. Um. But, yeah, I, I thought the match was pretty darn good. I, I had far fewer problems with this than I did with um, the earlier Cody Rhodes match.
1: Yeah, there, there's a lot of long – I mean, they had a 40-minute opener on Raw. I mean, that was
0: no, just – I mean, when you look at the match lengths. Like, I was just – you know, I was looking over at F4W and just reading a recap before we got on the air here. And just reviewing these match lengths and the people – the personnel in these matches – and how long you're giving them in terms of time. And one of the other big problems is because Vince, um, as we were talking about earlier, not wanting to build up family names with brands, right? Or as brands. Vince doesn't like to build up even wrestlers as brands, which is why you get, like, changed down to one name or we change your name entirely. We come up with some new look for you that you've never had before. He doesn't build up any of the talent enough to really justify giving any one talent other than like maybe Roman Reigns or Charlotte Flair or whatever, a 40-minute match. And so it's really weird when you see someone like Andrade in a match that's like 36 minutes.
1: Yeah, and there's no real heat to it either. It's just moves, 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 (laughs) headlock to rest, moves, moves, moves. I mean, I can watch a 40-minute match if there's a compelling feud to it but this is just
0: Japan style booking narrative weaving throughout like Tanahashi and Okada. I'm not saying I expect Andrade to be working up at those levels, but like, you know how new Japan, especially in the early part to the middle part of last decade really had, they had a good sense of narrative intensity in the matches. Right. Um, I I think you could do that. Uh, You can, you can build up some of these talent, but, but they keep working, The standard seven minute WWE match format only extended over 36 minutes.
1: Yeah. The same,
0: but longer. I mean, which I I get to put this in music terms. So you you like the song that's two minutes and 45 seconds, right? What if it was four minutes, Jeff?
1: Oh, here, here, yeah. Sorry. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm still.
0: You know what I'm saying? Like, if it was gonna be four minutes or seven minutes, or you were gonna hear an extended version, you'd hope to hear another section in that song, yeah. Than than the verse and the chorus, you'd hope to hear a secret bridge that is like, whoa, that's really different. I didn't know where that was coming from. Like uh, when you're listening to My Sharona by the Knack, and all you've ever heard your entire life is the radio edit, and then you hear the actual album version. It's five minutes, and it's got this and guitar solo in yeah. the middle of minute thirty. And you're like, whoa this is totally worth me spending this extra time here. There's nothing in a WWE TV match right now. That is like that guitar solo in my Sharona.
1: There's a weird sweet home, Alabama radio edit that I just don't understand where it takes out the, uh, the bridge with the, uh, with the, what do they call them? The Skinner or the, I forgot what they called the backup singers when they're doing that alabama with the big loud crash cymbals and stuff and they just replay that guitar thing and you're like well what happened to that other real cool song cool you know building part and it's just it throws me off every time i hear that version i just want to get rid of it
0: yeah i mean imagine if you heard the extended version of sweet home alabama it was just the first verse same as the, the yeah, fourth that's verse. pretty much what it is it's just yes.
1: weird man um oh one news piece that i thought i'd bring to your attention before we go uh, do you have anything else for AEW? i just wanted to
0: um I, I thought that they made moxley do a lot of carrying for the corporate brand in his promo and it felt awkward
1: I also thought the comedy felt a little awkward. I got to be honest with you and, and, and call your grandmother.
0: Right, right. No, there. it felt like a weird AEW commercial. There was also a little bit of like, <laughs> if you remember.
1: It's a self-aware promo is what it
0: is. It's Yeah, self-aware. It's like uh, those old Southwest uh, boarding videos that you used to have to watch. Uh, when you get on, they tell you how to put your uh. seatbelt on. And they were cheeky. And self-referential. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, Moxley had a little bit of the airplane boarding video energy going on.
1: Okay. No, that's perfect. I I like that. I'll leave it at that. Um, Jerry Lawler, this is a story that we were going to go over when it happened, and I just forgot about. But, as always, the explanation makes it much worse. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Jerry Lawler called uh, – he bravely flew in and, and told
0: us all that he was flying in to go in and call this too.
1: Atzawa uh, sent on a ramen noodle moonsault. Now here's his explanation. He said he was doing commentary in 2016 with Mauro Ranallo and gave given Ronaldo's history with Japanese wrestling. He heard him call a move, something that he figured was made up because he had never heard it before. He said he later made up some names for what he thought would be funny moves to go back at Ranala when he called a move, I would say something like, there's a ramen noodle moonsault, and he would say, oh, King, you know, there's no such thing, and we would just go on. I was doing it just to play devil's advocate with Morrow. If I were still doing commentary with Michael Kohler JR, we had the chemistry to where each one of these guys would have known that I was almost making a fool of myself by claiming like I was acting like I knew what this unbelievable-looking move was. Then either Kohler or JR would have said, oh, King, you know better than that. With Byron and Tom, we don't have that chemistry yet. We have only been working together for a short time. So when I said that, they didn't even acknowledge it. So it kind of went out, and they just kept talking, and I kept talking. I didn't think about it either.
0: Wait, wait, wait. So it's Byron and Tom's fault that they yeah. didn't like the old man Lawler when he was doing a racist
1: it's their fault for not picking up on my sense of humor. I'm sorry if anyone was offended.
0: <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, the, the biggest problem I have, I mean, obviously there's the doing a racist part of this, but his presentation of the joke construction is just fundamentally dishonest, right? It, the whole it, reason you would call it that is that you're ignorant, but you're ignorant in, in Archie Bunker
1: style. You can make that claim if you phrase the joke the right way, and uh, like if if he, had, I mean, it's still hard. It's still it's still not going to go over well in. Their not day trying and to age. get you
0: into trouble here, but I, but take me through this. I I want like, well, to like give me yeah.
1: I'm trying to think of how he'd do it, but he'd put it on himself. Like if I was doing that move or something like that, there, there's a... There's, It'd be called it's the... Hard. It's yeah
0: No, yeah, you know, even that would be problematic. No. Yeah,
1: I, 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 I thought there might be a self-deprecating way out of this, but then to say, hey, my straight men didn't come in here and save me is just asking I mean, that, that's...
0: A, and again, that, that goes back to the fundamental misrepresentation of the mechanics of comedy and joke construction, which when you talk about it like that gets like inherently unfunny. But... If King is going to hide behind, no, no, this is a construct of humor, it's fair to go, okay then, pal, what construct of humor is it?
1: Well, never mind. Lawler and his co-hosts intimated that the intent was that the joke was supposed to be on him for being behind the times. Quote, that's where me, Bobby Heed, and Jesse Ventura, all of the heel commentators do that sort of stuff, and the joke is on yourself that the people out there say, look at that idiot. He doesn't even know what he's talking about, and he thinks he does. That's where the joke was. Lawler did not apologize for the comment. Yeah, I think it probably would have been best, hey, it was an attempt at a bad joke. It may have worked in the past, but it doesn't work now. I'm sorry.
0: There's, even a Gorilla happen. Monsoon style, will you stop yes. punchline, rings not hollow, but off with where the times are and where we are with comments like that, we would expect somebody to, you know, receive some sort of disciplinary action and not be allowed to be on a live microphone if they were making well, comments. The real
1: sin was it just wasn't funny. Yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs> but, no, and, and like, yeah, that the, the original sin in all of this is that like you could get away with far more if it's actually funny because part of something being funny tends to be that it's... It's hitting on something honest, right? Um, Whereas that's the other part is – go back to the original joke. What is the the deeper truth that we're getting at when we mislabel a moonsault?
1: I mean, Heenan has two lines I can think of off the top of my head that you can't say in this day and age, but they were hilarious. So, you know, we we don't – Oh, Heenan
0: has tons of lines that you can't say in this day and age. Um, And some of them, like, it's weird because – some of them now, I'm like, it, the, the problematic versus, man, this is really funny. Yeah. Like, like, like the, that scale is really heavy on both sides now. Um, but to that point, I'm willing to get past a lot of things with Heenan. One, because he's no longer with us and isn't here to talk or to explain his thinking and where he's thinking about these things at this current moment now. Um, and, and, and two, he was funny as hell.
1: Yeah, people are now saying, "Hey Jeff, what are the two lines you're thinking of?" It. Oh no, you don't. <laughs> no, hell no, to the no, nah, no, nah, no. Nah. I am not getting canceled on my own podcast. Thank you. Um, That's my job. No, oh, jeez. I will cancel you, sir. Well, you know, like they canceled Star uh, Trek. Oh no, sorry.
0: <laughs> I mean, just mail that one to me a little later. All right.
1: <laughs> uh, so, so moving on yeah. to NXT.
0: Moving on to NXT. Do Wait, where do you want to begin?
1: Oh, I uh, did. Well, I was hoping you had the lineup in front of you, but uh, oh, I assume too much.
0: Um, but, no, you just have so much faith in me. They're misplaced. I know. Oh,
1: I know. Uh, Johnny and Candice. Oh, yeah, sure. What did you think of this presentation of them?
0: Boy. Uh, Johnny, what is he doing? I, I don't.
1: When I was watching this, well, let me answer. Let me answer that question. Maybe it'll clarify for you. Okay, he's playing insincere babyface.
0: Yes, I, I get that. I, I'm just I'm trying to understand when Johnny and Candice backstage were discussing what their on-screen dynamic is going to be like going forward. I, I the insincere babyface thing makes sense, but I, I just I don't. I can't imagine the conversation between Johnny and Candace. It just I get that they're doing templates of characters. Candace is your standard mean heel um who, who used to be nice but now, now has a mean edge. Um and, and I actually I will say this. I enjoyed I thought Casey Katnizaro did her part pretty well. Um like I, I thought she did a good job looking across the ring and seeing somebody who used to be her friend. Who's not her friend anymore. Um, but Johnny did, I I don't like his character right now.
1: Yeah. It's a little over the top. It's a little, I think people just want to see Johnny and Candace be good guys, to be honest with you. Um,
0: I just don't think people are buying into the turn of Johnny and Candace. Yeah, I,
1: yeah I, I, think that, I think once audiences come back, they'll turn on them. And who knows, that might be as early as next week with quarter-filled no, crowds.
0: They ha- yeah, they have a bigger problem, which is going and trying to run again in front of quarter-filled audiences that are quarter-entertained by some of the booking choices that WWE has been making.
1: I just watched Casey, and I I love her athleticism, but man, it looks like she's a child in there, right. and, and I couldn't get she's past that.
0: So she's so slight of frame that you just see obvious limits to what she can bring as a solo act, and and my mind was thinking about okay, who would be who she should be paired with is a. Monster heel character who you want to get over as a babyface for a length of time, and actually have like the big person, small person, friend dynamic. So let's yeah. say you want to turn Raina Gonzalez at some point and make her the monster babyface, and she's on like a push to a championship title run or whatever. And Casey is her friend and her sidekick or whatever, and they do tag team matches and they have cool little tandem spots. I think she's got a real place as the babyface imperil in, in a tag match. Um, As a singles talent, there's just a a clear ceiling because of her size.
1: Because of her size, you know, every hard, you know, collision, I just kind of, you know, because she's had injury problems before. You know, if she was in there with a Nia Jax, I'd be, and this isn't a slight on Nia Jax more than it's just people who go in with Nia Jax have to be physical with her. And they have to take those bumps to make her look good.
0: Oh, yeah. She would have to be jumping off the top rope and trying to hit missile drop kicks to Nia Jax. No and getting self.
1: slammed. And getting yeah, slammed it, hard. It,
0: it, it, yeah. Or, you know, doing a kickoff of Nia Jax and then just thudding onto the canvas. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah I mean, really rough bumps for her. Um, I, I just, I think that she needs to be, she would have been great if she had really been long-term booked as Candice LeRae's, best friend and that this was a deeper Mm storyline because like that's, that's kind of the underdog ceiling for her. And Candace is about as big as she can credibly be working underdog without you having serious issues. Um, It is neat though to have someone theoretically who can, Seem like an underdog going into the ring against Kaylee Ray, right? Like, yeah. like Kaylee Ray is not a very big person, but Casey Cat and Nizzaro She's vicious. Pro- She's yeah. vicious, and they can if work Cat that. If booked properly and established properly, would be someone perfect to tell that story with. Um, yeah, but but yeah, I, I just see real problems with her as a singles talent.
1: I I think also look the the time to push her was after that first Rumble thing when she oh, came yeah, out yeah, because right. yeah. because she still had the American Ninja Warrior fame on her and now that's kind of a few years removed
0: and they've already done all the big Kofi Kingston like spots with her mm-hmm. to limited effect at this point. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. She was more popular and better known 3-4 years ago at this point. They've done the signature spots that theoretically should have established her and I think even when they've used her on the main roster in a very limited capacity, I just don't think, I don't think they really believe in her as a main every week TV on screen talent. And if they don't, then like they need to figure out what the NXT plan is for.
1: I think the new finisher is interesting. It's an homage to her stay at PWG all those years doing mixed tags with Joey Ryan against like the young bucks and whatnot. That is super dragons old finisher the super curb stomp or what have you. I'm interested that she's the one doing it. Um, <laughs> she actually took one, as I recall, in PWG when I was there once. Um, so that's, uh, you know, I, I like little homages to uh, to your former life in the Indies. I, I thought that was cool.
0: Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, I mean, and I think it, it gets over that new mean attitude. Um, absolutely. I, I'm just... It's the Johnny Candace dynamic, as heels doesn't work for me, but we've already kind of went over that.
1: Um, what else was on the show? We had more cruiserweight matches. We had um, Drake Maverick beat Tony Nice, and then cut a fiery promo that he's not going anywhere. I'm still very uncomfortable with this story, Chris. I don't care if he's staying or not. I yeah, I don't still- care
0: staying or not and I don't care how good he is and he is fantastic and I am a huge rock star spud Drake Maverick fan I always have been for the last seven eight years we're going to like 10 years now this story is extraordinarily icky it is insensitive to say the least Um, not only to all the people who were independent contractors who had their contracts, there, some of which were quote-unquote multi-year deals, just dissolved. Um, but also to the people who are watching at home who are on the furlough to see this story sort of played out and and just used as storyline fodder. Now, I I don't like it, and it's a damn shame because I want to be all in on Drake Maverick finally getting some some go and and, and this company seeing – what I have seen in this guy for the better part of ten years.
1: And a rematch from Lucha Underground to start off the show. El Hio del Fantasma, aka King Cuerno takes on took on Isaiah Swerve Scott. AKA Killshot. Um liked the match. Found it interesting that they beat El Hio del Fantasma. Yeah, uh, I but I weird. think it's part of the bigger story with the mask guys and how it's obvious he's not fighting them, but they're trying to. I, I, I'm loving that part of the story, and I thought, I thought Isaiah Swerve Scott cut a hell of a promo after this match too.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I like the the I like the Eho Del Fantasma thing. I I do like the that he's not actually fighting them and he's the not really
1: Kaiser Soze. I am here for. I am. Yeah,
0: lo- no. For sure, for sure. Um, it, it's it's good, it's good deviousness. I think it does. It made this match a little bit weird. You're like, oh, okay, we're gonna have Swerve Scott win. Yeah, and I, I just I wouldn't beat Eho, Del Fantasma. But also, if you're thinking about this in terms of do wins and losses really matter for his character right now? Standard wrestling booking would say not at all because you're about to turn him heel. I would push back on that though slightly and say we're just establishing this guy though, and Swerve Scott is. I think he should be beating all of these people. Um, and, well, it felt and- like he was
1: in line to possibly get this Cruiserweight title when they did that four-way with, uh, with Devlin and he and uh, the buzzsaw, the Kiwi buzzsaw. And, That's uh, right.
0: That's right. Yeah, people were really into Swerve. Uh, so maybe, maybe I'm underappreciating where Swerve is in the pecking order, especially in the Cruiserweight division these days.
1: Yeah, I'm starting to lean towards they're going to elevate him on that side of the bracket, but the story's going to be all El Hio Del Fantasma and these masked guys, and eventually it's all going to come to a head.
0: Uh, If it came to a head, oh, no, oh, no. It might all come to a head with Drake Maverick's character being cannibalized to tell the rest of that story.
1: That could be, too. I mean, (laughs) uh, so in the hit or miss category... How was the Newly Bros show for you?
0: This was a miss for me, bro.
1: I think Tom Phillips sounds like a game show announcer. I think Byron Phillips acts like a game show host. I thought this started off well and then just fell off a cliff. I, I appreciate what they're trying to do here. I just... I don't know if that's how you want to present Timothy Thatcher. That's all. (laughs) Yeah, I don't
0: know if that's how you want to present Timothy Thatcher. Yeah, and that's the other part is this is Riddle. I mean, even Riddle as... Riddle is such a 90s version of what a stoner is, right? He he is a really dated archetype of a stoner. He's the guy from the turn of the century who's listening to Sublime every day. (laughs) And, and, and so it, it, even to that point, pot culture has moved on beyond that. Um, how much do you want to be highlighting pot culture? That That's certainly an open question to discuss, but we've moved past that. So I'll, I'll leave it to the side here. Um, but the presentation of Riddle, if you're going to embrace that, um, is, needs to be more reflective of where you're stoner is now maybe watch pineapple express that movie's almost 15 years old but that would give you a much fresher coat of paint on what a current stoner looks like
1: oh it feels like they went back to old not even ecw but wwf rob van Dam promos and they're trying to play that cute because look i I appreciated the my wife wakes and bakes me breakfast line okay that was cute but they're trying to get over a Rob Van Dam type character, and I think I think there's more to this guy than that. And I just I, – I just – I think comedy needs to not be, be – the, the comedy in this needs to not be played hard for comedy.
0: No, You know the thing, though, about Rob Van Dam? Great, I'm glad you brought him up because, yes, Rob Van Dam was a pothead, and you looked at his tights, and there's like the airbrush on yin-yang and 420 and like <laughs> – His tights are totally a 90s stoner paradise. Also, it was the 1990s, so it was current and reflective of where culture was. But the other thing that that Rob Van Dam always got over, and this is independent of the promos, was his badassery by doing the split-legged chair stretch. The first time I saw that on TV, I thought he must have been like, I thought he was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. That and the first time I saw him dive from the turnbuckle into the crowd. And I thought, and I was like, you know, 10, I thought it was like 10,000 feet away. I couldn't believe anyone could do that. Um, I mean, Rob Van Dam was also established as a physical talent and a physical presence and someone who was not the biggest guy, but was so technically savvy. Uh, that you had to respect him. And and underneath the casual bro, whoa, I've been getting high all day stuff, was also a guy who was sitting there and doing a ton of stretches and stuff, and you knew that this guy did serious stuff. With Matt Riddle's character, we never see him really doing serious stuff. Or more importantly, he does serious stuff every so often, but he doesn't have a serious signature stuff training spot in the same way that Rob Van Dam had these split chair stretches.
1: Yeah, and it was also just the, you know, whatever guy was supposed to offset his badassery. And we haven't seen the badassery in Riddle except for that. Except really that one match against Adam Cole, I think. Ohno, I think
0: Cassius uh, I think, would be another example.
1: Yeah, that was more of a – well, in Evolve it was, not in WWE necessarily. But, yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Charlotte Flair versus Mia Yim I thought was very, very good – I'm a little shocked that they're going to EO this quick, but I assume it'll probably be like Charlotte putting her feet on the ropes and pinning her because I thought the story was Charlotte cleans out the division and then EO beats her. So this is an yeah, interesting I bet
0: her. I think she might – I think it might be foot on the ropes. It might be, uh, uh yeah, some sort of banana peel finish where she does not cleanly beat EO Shirai. Then tries to move on beyond Io Shirai, and then Io Shirai is chasing Charlotte,
1: and she's just crazy the entire time. It's like right. she's screaming about the leg on the ropes, and then, you know, Charlotte will be cutting a promo the next week because she's she has a real tough match this week with Tegan Knox, and then here comes Io, you know, just just screaming all sorts of Japanese obscenities, hopefully, <laughs> doing that because I don't mind I don't mind crazy Io. I like crazy Io quite a bit, but. Uh, an interesting way to do this i mean I, I i did like my way of just having every baby face beat charlotte and then she eventually beats eo but <laughs> it, um yeah we'll see we'll see what happens here i i uh i wonder if they're getting nervous about her being on this show with low ratings quote-unquote low ratings they're still quite good it's not yeah like no, they need
0: to bring hard. her back to the ratings juggernaut. it's hurting, it's hurting her down.
1: star power so we need to bring her back to raw or whatever i i could see that being a, a mindset
0: yeah, uh ratings juggernaut raw. Let's get her back onto there.
1: Dexter Loomis beat Shane Thorne. Okay. <laughs> Dexter Loomis
0: as a babyface is it's so weird. It's so weird, right? <laughs> I
1: it's mean, like Boo I mean, being the <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> it's like it it is it is very, very strange. Uh I would actually, you know what? I'm going to make it because you, you've been mean to me. It's it's Gold Ducott as a babyface uh, who noted heel on Deep Space Nine. It, it's just uncomfortable. You don't you don't want to root for Ducat. You know that Ducat's not a babyface character. You're not sure why this is happening.
1: You know who what what it reminds me a lot of, and it's not quite to that point, but they they, they it is kind of a trope in these. Uh, especially the 60s and 70s movies where you have a bunch of character actors going on a mission or something. Like in the original Magnificent Seven, one of my favorite characters in that movie is Robert Vaughn's Lee, the the gunfighter who has lost his nerve. And so everybody's kind of, he he says a lot of weird things just, you know, in a very passive-aggressive way. And everybody just kind of looks at each other and goes... Is this guy going to be okay? That's exactly who Dexter Loomis is in this thing. It's like, it's like, it's like if you had like an eight-man tag and three guys were going, who could we get? And you just hear this weird, creepy voice in the background, I'll be your partner. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Who left Dexter Loomis in our, in our locker room? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, was Velveteen Dream on this show this week? Uh, he is hyped for next week I believe. Right, Someone. right.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh we've had we had a week of him not on TV. Don't no, We've
1: no, had no. a week of him not on TV because of charges that have not been uh Yeah, so we're still not talking about this, huh?
0: Yeah, I guess not. Or, or well, are we? I don't know. I don't
1: know cuz nothing's happened with it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I guess that's really the bigger thing is I the, the news is the the news, I, I mean, there's one part of the story of are the allegations true? And, you know, we're still waiting to find out more about that. But the one thing that we can say, you know, positively right now is that the company has not taken any apparent action that we're aware of at the time of broadcast.
1: Yes, there are allegations because I, we have to talk about it now because we brought it up. But there are allegations that uh, Velveteen Dream uh, does some not great things on social media. And also
0: uses voice messaging and stuff. And and some of those voice messages also made it out there and you can listen to them for yourself and, you know, to
1: to teenagers who are not teenagers above the age of 18. How about that? Yeah. (laughs) That's a, that's a diplomatic way.
0: No, but I I think it's also a precise way of explaining the situation.
1: Okay, good. Uh, (laughs) Shane Thorne. I don't know why you beat him here. If you're going to make him a part of the tag team scene up on top on raw. I don't get that.
0: It's weird. It's weird. And, like, I think Dexter Loomis, this is a weird choice for him as a babyface, too, because he's going up against the underdog heel. So you almost find yourself rooting for Shane Thorne in a way because Thorne's the underdog here and Loomis is the bigger guy. And and you can't – because you're trying to build up Loomis – you can't give Thorn too much offense, so you can't really let Loomis work from under either. It, it, it it's it's strange. It, it was just it was a very strange tone in this match. Uh, I, I like. I mean, I like the finisher. I, I, I like him choking the life out of people. I think it works for the character. It's is, that, just, is
1: that a good baby face move, though? I don't know, but is he
0: really a baby, <laughs> is he a baby face? I think not. I, I mean, my gut tells me long-term this guy isn't a baby face. Right. Um, so I'm not worried so much about that. What I am worried about is making the sell to people and getting them to bite on the idea that this guy might actually be a baby face, which I don't think he is, but I think you need to trick people. And I don't know that they've done a lot of work on that front.
1: And then uh, so we already did Maverick and Nice. Uh, Keith Lee obtained his title against Damian Priest. Thought that was a pretty damn good big man match. And then it had kind of a sports entertainment ending with the nightstick. But up until then, I really was enjoying this. I think... I think Damian Priest needs to be part of a group. And I think they need to actually have inter- group interview types. Like, if, if he and Finn Balor were made a package, I could, I could see loving that quite a bit. No, no, no.
0: I, I got it. I got it. Damian Priest and EHO Del Fantasma need to be, like, a tag team, and, and you need to have the two mass dudes as kind of the underlings. But, but whatever this future faction is with EHO, Priest needs to be a part of it. Okay, because then you've that. then you've got a really solid promo base too. Phantasma's a good promo. We we talked about this before. I like him. He's he's got he's got a good command of English. But if you have him and Priest there, like th- those two guys can totally carry the energy that I think needs to happen.
1: And that's all I want. I, I just want I just want some solid promos. And I think Priest can do that. If if but I just think I think this character, especially the <laughs> there's nothing. I love Damian Priest, but boy, when he does that weird, uh the weird gesticulations during the dun 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 dun, 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 dun in his theme music, I just go, "That's so lame." I just want him to be a bad. Yeah, his
0: like weird rocking out thing. Yeah. That he, yes, no, I, I hate that. Like, like that. The, everything that everything that he does when he comes out is lame as hell, right? And the, he's the, just the rising, arrow rising above a garbage entrance.
1: You know, make make him like larry fishburne and king of new york or something you know just just to have him be that kind of because that's what i thought he'd be kind of Think about how they did the first promos
0: the gangrel's entrance i don't
1: even i don't even need him to be supernatural though man i just you know just gangrel just came up th- on the platform with the flames
0: I, I you know what i mean like you don't have to go all the way and have him drinking the blood or whatever um although like the chalice did give gangrel a little thing and priest was kind of working sort of like oh, that
1: yeah i got an archety- i got an archetype for you cyrus from the movie the warriors okay the guy goes can you dig it yeah (laughs) him yeah that'd be kind of cool uh that's all i got you got anything else
0: no i think that's it that's all i got
1: plug your shears okay
0: so don't worry about the government has lots of new episodes out i've been been cranking them out like i i would love to be doing on a regular basis go and check those out on don't worry.tv. Also, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash D W A T G. You can get premium content too. put out a premium episode this week. So if you're interested in that, go and check that out. All in the family podcast is available for listening. We will be taping again at some point. I don't know when that is. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O.
1: As always, if you want to give us a tip, you can do it at our red circle site where the show is hosted are the voices of wrestling network listen to all our shows if you don't like us there's probably some wrestling that you do like that you like to listen about open the voice gate everything AEW and of course the flagship with Joe and Rich talking all around the horn of Japanese and American wrestling and even some Mexico here and there uh, I'm Jeff probably, Hawkins if you don't like us they, they like you. us
0: no they they should, if they don't they should take a long look in the mirror They oh. really ask himself what's broken inside of them
1: You know what they should like is Star Trek.
0: Yeah, they should like Star Trek. No,
1: they should not. No, yeah.
0: (laughs) Happy birthday, loser.